We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to another live Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, my guy, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing? Yeah, Nets talk. <laughs> exactly. More Brooklyn Buzz for you guys. Plenty of Nets talk to talk about. Sean Marks just probably finished up for the offseason. I think one two-way signing left. But as always, quick reminder, check us out. iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Google Play, and Dash Radio. But Jack, what do you want to jump into first? Well, there's been a couple of moves around the wings, Nick, and uh, I've just done a video breakdown on this guy. So should we jump in with David Nawaba? Yeah, let's do it. I like it. Uh, Nawaba, I thought, was a very nice signing, filling out the roster, getting him at minimum. Second year, a team option, which I think is very big. You get the flexibility. He also had a really nice game against the Nets last year, too. You know, great hustle guy, known to be a good locker room guy, can provide some defense. I know you mentioned in your breakdown the transition offense is there. What do you like about the signing? I really like about him that he just provides energy and effort. And I think he's going to fit the Brooklyn Nets identity and mold, especially as a defender. Uh, it provides real effort on that sort of end of the floor. Sort of if you're comparing him to sort of uh, a player we had on the roster last year, you know, we were chatting about this off wax. Um, he's sort of like a, a guard version of Trevion Graham. Um, but obviously, you know, Trevion Graham didn't necessarily take to the system as well. He was still a capable performer. I think if David Nwaba can have a similar season to what Trevion Graham does as sort of like, 10th, 11th guy on the roster, I'd be more than happy. Um, you know, he has so many great uh, defensive, you know, tangibilities in terms of, you know, he has great length, you know, he's engaged uh, a lot and a lot of his steals, you know, his one-on-one defense, he creates his own offense through that. Um, and I think that that provides a lot, you know, in some of the breakdown, in the, some of the breakdown that I did, you know, he was guarding the likes of James Harden. Um, he was, you know, blocking guys um, in, in some of their layup attempts. He has some quickness about him. And that sort of, you know, the finishing at the rim, I think, is something that he's really good at as well. So uh, a, a really nice piece to just sort of add some extra depth to the roster, which is, you know, something the Nets uh, really value because uh, the regular season, we know uh, it's a bit of a grind and having those extra guys, uh, having those extra bodies, those NBA-ready bodies, uh, David Nwaba is certainly one of them. Yeah, I think anytime you get a guy that plays hard, you appreciate that. And, you know, like we were talking about, seven-foot wingspan is really impressive, not only defensively but offensively, allowing to finish your contact a little bit. And he kind of complements some of the players on the Nets roster well. You know, if you got Kyrie Irving out there, you want to put another defensive guy at the two or the three throughout Nawaba. Same thing, you got Spencer doing. You want to provide him a little bit more defense. Like you said, having depth in playable NBA players, I think it's really important when you can fill out your roster with guys that actually can play NBA minutes and you feel okay about that. You know, in the past, the Nets have had to kind of get guys in the roster, maybe G League call ups or things like that, where they're not really playable. They're not good NBA players. Nawaba probably wouldn't be good, but he'd be average with a chance to get to a good level with the Nets developmental team. Yeah, and I think you, you, you harp on it there, Nick, with the developmental team. Um, I think that he's got the ability 
to be a better three-point shooter. Yep. You know, and the mechanics are there. And obviously, they're not necessarily... He's. I don't think he's going to become a lights-out shooter, but if he can hit this, those catch-and-shoot opportunities, if he's out there with the likes of Spencer Dinwiddie uh, and Kyrie Irving in certain lineups, that I value that. You know, he's a, a 6'4 guy who's average, who, average, who averages four rebounds across his career, um, which is, you know, a, a, certainly a decent enough number. Um, I, I think he adds value. Um, I, I think, you know, last season, you know, he only played 51 games, uh, mainly for the Cleveland Cavaliers, 6.5 points, 3.2 rebounds, 1.1 assists. We'll be doing some season previews and we'll certainly do one on David Nwaba, but I like what he gives to this roster and another sneaky good signing from Sean Marks. And it kind of has a theme for the offseason. Obviously, you got Kyrie and Katie, the big signings, but some of the other guys brought in, like Torian Prince. You know, now you have a little bit of a transition team. That's something we didn't necessarily see a ton of last year. You know, in the fast break opportunities, the Nets weren't always able to convert. So I'm interested to see how they kind of play a little different on the floor. Then he also provides versatility, and that's something that we've really liked with this roster. You know, talking about the versatility between uh, Karis Levert, Torian Prince, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, Rodion's, Wilson Chandler, Garrett Temple. Now Nawaba's a guy you can probably play the two or the three, and he can defend one through three. Yeah, um, I think that it's it, it provides us with an opportunity, like you mentioned, Nick. You know, I, I think you know a few years ago when Coach Kenny was sort of first helming uh, the roster. There was an element of pace to this team. Mm-hmm. Um, and then De'Anza Russell, obviously, you know, his style of game being the sort of floor general changes that. I think Kyrie speeds things up just a little bit, depending on how they want to play. I think, like you sort of said, at least gives them that option. You know, you've got some really athletic guys. And, you know, David Nawaba with his sort of length and, you know, Torian Prince, like you mentioned, Rodion's Kuritz, these sort of guys give you the ability to get some really easy transition opportunities. And, and those easy buckets... You know, we saw from Rodion's last year, really lifts the team, lifts the lifts the bench and, and just gives you that sort of extra boost uh, that you need uh, at the start and middle and end of games where you just want that extra little bit of buzz. Yeah, the buzz. Uh, get, it gets a crowd going too, you know, just like those transition buckets when you're at home, the steal and slam, like you mentioned from Rodion's, we saw so much last year. So I really like the signing. You know, I'm not expecting anything crazy, but I thought it was a really nice move with limited free agents out there. Yeah, with barely anything left on the on the sort of free agency market, I think we got probably one of the best guys out there. Um, yeah. If not, you know, probably the best guy out there. Um, so he's going to add something. Um, but should we move on to the the two way addition that Sean Marks added? Yeah, Henry Ellison. You know, obviously, I think a first round pick from the Detroit Pistons in 2016. You know, not a lottery pick, but right outside the cusp, I believe, around like the 17 mark, if I'm not mistaken. But he's a guy that can knock down a three-point shot. I believe he ended up on the Knicks at the end of last season. There was some talk about him playing in Summer League. I do not believe he did play in Summer League. So there is some potential there. You know, getting a guy like this on a two-way contract is really nice because he probably hasn't had the right opportunity to really explore that skill set with Detroit. Maybe he got a little bit of it with New York last year. But I think getting time in the G League, messing around the developmental team of the Nets, I'm excited to see what he can do. I know some people wanted the Nets to make a move for him last year or just sign him as a regular free agent. Getting him on a two-way deal is a steal. Yeah, two-way deal is a, is a really sort of positive signing. You know, you look at what Alan, Alan Williams provided the team, you know, last season. You know, he was good in spurts when he was sort of needed in the junk time and in the sort of games where there were blowouts. Um, I think Henry Ellenson, you know, you just like to have that assurance, insurance for, for the big man sort of position. And, you know, a guy who's... Uh, known to be able to hit the three ball um, and, you know, hasn't had the, the best of careers along the way, but hasn't necessarily had the best shot at it either. Um, so to add depth to that big man rotation, you know, Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan, Nicholas Claxton, Henry Ellenson, you know, you got five, four decent enough big guys there, you know, Nicholas Claxton, and they've all got differing sort of skill sets. So, you know, you can sort of change the way you sort of play. And, you know, I think that uh, Henry Ellenson, under the guise of, of Kenny Atkinson and the assistant coaches there, will improve as a player. How much we see him, you know, who knows? But, you know, certainly worth the two-way contract. And he's a good guy to have in terms of going to the following season. The Nets are going to be pretty much capped out. They're not going to have a lot of flexibility having KD maxed out, Kyrie maxed up, you know, Karis Averse extension coming up. Same thing for Torian Prince. So there, there's not really going to be a ton of options to upgrade the roster. You get a guy like this, moving forward, he could be a really nice piece at a cheap price to add to your team. Yeah, and obviously uh, a fellow Rock Nation sports yeah, uh, true. client. So there's certainly that sort of aspect. Keep it Rock, in the family. Rock Nation Nets. Rock Nation Rock Nets. Nation. What do we, we got? got Kyrie, Kyrie yeah. Harris, and Wilson, and now Henry. Uh, so I'm sure there's some sort of T-shirt out there that um, <laughs> 
probably be working in that sort of regard. But uh, the roster is filling out nicely, Nick. Um, I mean, we'll do some probably more in-depth analysis uh, in terms of how it compares to last season. But is this roster better than last season's roster? I think so. I think obviously even subtracting Kevin Durant, I think you're looking at improvements. And I think that's the one thing a lot of people are sleeping on. We've seen jumps from players consistently. The only guy who really didn't make a jump last year was Rondé. And I think that was much of a system fit. You know, Spencer improved last year. Karras obviously improved. Jared Allen improved. Rodion's it was his rookie year. You know, we've seen a lot of rookies take a big jump into the sophomore year. So I'm excited to see the potential growth of a lot of the guys in this team. And I think it's being kind of slept on by even the Nets fan base and obviously the national media. Yeah, obviously there's a lot of sort of stuff out there about over and under and, and wins and, and you know, 2K ratings and everything else <laughs> happening. But, you know, we've got a really nice rotation. Anthony Davis is sort of saying he backs his team, you know, 1-15 to against any others. You know, I think that the Brooklyn Nets are around there in terms of when it comes to the Eastern Conference. You know, depth is uh, is crucial when it comes to the regular season. Um, and I think the Nets really do value that. Um, I, I think that if we all get on the same page, you know, the chemistry is good. Um, you know, you'll see a, a really positive sort of season and chemistry throughout from 1 to 15 in the roster. Um, really excited to see how these guys all gel. You know, how the improvements we see across the board, how Spencer works along these guys, how Kyrie works along these guys, how Kevin Durant works as a mentor in the locker room. Um, but it, it's, it's an exciting time for Nets fans. And I think that, you know, more than any other fans, I think Brooklyn Nets fans have reason to be uh, giddy uh, heading into the 2019-20 season. One thing that just excites me about the roster, it just feels like there's a lot of athletes on this team. Maybe compared to last year, you got rid of some of the older guys and Damari Carroll or Jared Dudley. And you bring in a guy like Torian Prince, a guy like David Nawaba, some of these younger guys picking up bigger roles. I just like the idea of them getting more active in transition and the defensive versatility that we'll see moving forward. I just think that wasn't something really that was available last season. Now Kenny not only has more talent, arguably, he also has more versatility with the roster. Yeah, I think versatility is something that, you know, Coach Kenny loves to sort of have, um, you know, be able to throw different lineups out there, you know, defensively, offensively. Uh, I think we do have that. I think that, you know, if you're analyzing each sort of position, you know, the, the guard at depth position is still there. Um, you've, still, you've probably got a better wing rotation, a younger wing rotation, uh, and the big man rotation uh, certainly exceeds what we had last season. You know, uh, obviously, you know, Ed Davis is a loss, but, DeAndre Jordan, you know, probably slots in there nicely. And, you know, we expect Jared Allen to take jumps as he's done in Summer League, which is a, a nice little segue. Yeah, let's talk about Summer League. I think Jared Allen would be the main topic, obviously, was the Nets' best player, named first team all Summer League, which obviously is important considering a lot of people didn't want to see him there. We'll get to that part later. But he had a rough game, I want to say the second or third game against the Croatian team. He responded. He came out against Detroit and bullied them. Then in the previous game, I believe, against Minnesota, he left in the third quarter. But in that game, he had like 15 points, 14 rebounds in around 20 minutes. He was starting to be a presence. And you could see his confidence increasing, not only, you know, just dunking, laying in, but attacking the boards, realizing that, hey, I'm a big dude. I have long arms. I can get up there and grab some of these boards over other players just because of my size, length. And you saw a little bit of muscle growth, I would say, over the just the last couple months. Yeah, he's not a massive guy. And I don't think Jared Allen is ever going to be, you know, a, a Joel Embiid, a, a Shaquille O'Neal, you know, absolute physical force because we know he has the finesse and, and panache uh, and, and ability to, to move laterally that's, that some of those guys necessarily don't. But it was good to see him get that confidence, get that aggression out on guys that, you know, are, are the lesser likes. And and I think that, you know, hearing Sean Marks on, on the sort of podcast that he did today in the radio interview, he was sort of saying that Jared Allen wanted to be there. And, you know, the questions surrounding him, he spoke about that in articles. But, you know, he was, he was barking out instructions to guys uh, out on the floor. You know, he was sort of seeing elements of him in the younger guys and like, man, that's what I do. I'm going to be more aggressive and that sort of thing. So... For, for this, uh, it's not just on-court sort of stuff for Jared Allen. It, it improves him as a leader. It improves him as a teammate. And, you know, it improves his confidence uh, and standing within the roster. And I think that all those things culminating is why Jared Allen wanted to be there. It's why the team wants him to be there. Yeah, like you mentioned the article, I think in the interviews, a lot of things you heard him talk about was pick and roll coverage, how he was trying to communicating that to not only the bigs, but the guards as well. Something he said he learned from D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dewey, some of the other veterans on the team. Then he also mentioned that explaining it to them allowed him to think about different things that he didn't maybe cross in the path in the past. So I'm interested to see how it could help him grow. And then you mentioned the leadership aspect, like 
he's feeling more comfortable talking. We know Jared Allen's a shy guy. So hopefully this helps him talk to some of the bigger names that are coming into the locker room. Yeah, I mean, we, we heard, obviously, you know, when he was asked the, of that center rotation, does he want that star position? And, and we heard our boy uh, actually uh, use some profanities, which is not <laughs> normally uh, what we expect from a, a nice little kind, charitable man in the likes of Jared Allen. But he was absolutely, and, you know, he was sort of saying, you know, he doesn't expect the questions. It was almost the talk of the summer league because, you know, once Zion was done, you know, there was some RJ talk and, you know, a bit of Tyler Hero sort of talk, but then it was just like, why is Jared Allen playing? Why is Jared Allen playing? And it was getting talked about on all the sort of ESPN shows, but um, he knows why he was playing and, and he he made that known and, you know, he provided a lot of value to himself and to, to the people that were there at Summer League. And uh, D-Rock's got a question, Nick, and probably more for you because I haven't been able to necessarily watch as much film as you have. It's concerning that we got crushed in our elimination game, seeing that we had Alan Kurutz, Musa and Pinson in that lineup. Uh, I would say, you know, Allen, when he was in there, the Nets were pretty close. Um, we kind of talked about it off air a little bit. Musa and Theo Pinson didn't nef- necessarily impress that much. And I think Rodion's kind of almost hit like a slump in the last two games. I'm not super concerned because the other team just wanted more. Like they just, w- they knew that they needed to fight for these roles. And there just wasn't the the same desperation from a lot of the Nets players because, hey, Musa, Pinson, Rodion's and Allen all know they're going to be an NBA roster next year. The other guys are trying to prove things. You know, there wasn't a ton of NBA players playing on Minnesota. So they're fighting, gritting from every chance they can get. And I think, like, the Nets just didn't necessarily have that same desperation. And the guard play just wasn't really good in that game. Like I said, Musa and Pinson weren't amazing. And I think if you don't have great guard play, it's hard for guys like Rodion's and Jared Allen to really have big games. And I thought Allen, still with everyone else not playing amazing, still had 15 points and 14 rebounds. So I wasn't concerned with him. I would understand someone being concerned with Musa and Pinson. Yeah, and in terms of those concerns, Nick, with, with Musa and Pinson, do, do you hold those heading into the regular season? You know, were there any improvements? What do you think that they need to work on? Um, what are the concerns there? I think Pinson's three-point shots still need some work. You know, they brought up on the broadcast, he does typically fade back when he's shooting the three, and he's just not super consistent from three-point range. Um, I would have liked to probably see him attack a little bit more and go to certain plays. Obviously, they want to showcase get, showcase different guys in the roster to give them a chance. Musa, he was just like hit or miss. Some games you would watch him, and he'd be really, really good attacking the lane, getting creative, and knocking down shots. Other games, it would just feel like he would miss a couple shots, lose a little bit of confidence. And defensively, I think still think there's room for improvement. Just not anything where I'm like, okay, I'm, I, I don't want these guys in the roster anymore. I just think they need more development with the coaching staff. Yeah, and I think that development, you know, obviously we've got Musa there for for a few more years. We've got Pinson on that contract. And I think that, you know, you don't expect team the, the, these sort of guys to show everything uh, at the exact sort of moment. You know, uh, it's growth and potential isn't necessarily, you know, sort of linear. You know, yep. you expect those ups and downs. You know, we saw it in Jared Allen. You know, we've seen it in the likes of, you know, budget uh, budgeting superstars with the likes of, you know, Jamal Murray, you know, Ben Simmons and Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum. These sort of young studs on the rise aren't performing for 82 games straight. You know, that's what separates that from the elite, elite superstars like the Kyrie Irvings, like the Kevin Durant, like the Anthony Davises. Um, obviously, Kyrie has had his ups and downs, but, you know, we expect some growth from these guys and hopefully, you know, plenty of G League time, plenty of, you know, growth and, and mentorship from the coaches and, and the new players. Um, can pr- improve them as players and as people. Yeah, and one guy who stuck out that wasn't we haven't really talked about, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name cor- uh, correctly, French guy, Isaiah Cordonier, and he was part of that Jeremy Lin trade, and the Nets got his draft rights, and I remember people saying most likely you would never see him over here. Well, he impressed. There's a possibility he could get a two-way contract. I wouldn't rule that out, and um, if not, I could see him possibly being brought up over in the future as a two-way guy. He just seemed like he could be an NBA player, had the confidence, was crafting the lane, could knock down the three-point shot, just felt like an NBA guard. What, and obviously, uh, in terms of that, Nick, you know, there's one more two-way spot. If you were Sean Marks, would you give it to him? Do you want to have a guard or a wing and sort of that extra two-way spot? It's definitely something to consider. The one thing with him is the Nets would still have their dra- his draft rights. So even if he stayed over internationally and played, they could still bring him back. So... I'm not really super concerned if he wasn't brought over on the two-way. 
I'm not sure what they think of Jalen Hands. He didn't necessarily see a ton of minutes in summer league. I don't know if he's a two-way guy they're looking for, or there's been talk about possibly him playing internationally, and the Nets maintaining his draft right. So I'm really not sure what Sean Marks is going to do. There's a couple other guys out there. They could be scouting in the G League, uh, the G League, the summer league of other players that might not get picked up by their team that they like. Yeah, exactly. You know, Sean Marks and Kenny were there. They were making their faces uh, seen by by plenty of other teams and. You know, there's, we'll obviously be dropping that news whenever it does happen because, you know, every minor move matters uh, when it comes to the Brooklyn Nets and especially to us in the Brooklyn Buzz. But, Nick, should we get to some, uh, some 2K stuff? Yeah, we should. We should. Uh, this is the first time in a really long time the Nets have two of the top 10, what, top 11 players in 2K rating? Yeah, I think. Oh, no, Kyrie was 11th, I believe. Yeah, top 11. So close enough. Yeah. Um, but, you know, obviously 96 and 91, uh, 96 for KD, 91 for Kyrie Irving. Do those numbers uh, sit well with you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, LeBron got number one at 97. I think KD's what tied at second with 96 with like Giannis and Kawhi. So overall, I think that's pretty fair. Obviously, he has the Achilles injury, and Kyrie Irving's right on that cusp of he could probably sneak into the top 10 if they do a ratings upgrade. So I'm happy. I'm, I'm excited to kind of pop that game in and see what those guys play like. Yeah, September can't come soon enough. I think that, you know, 2K always brings plenty of buzz. And um, I think that, you know, those numbers seem pretty standard, seem pretty good. Um, obviously, how uh, it'll be more fun to sort of play with them before, you know, we even see them on the court together, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is going to be really exciting. You know, you can sort of experiment with them and, and be a sort of Coach Kenny uh, yourself with how you sort of play these guys. You know, that pick and roll combination will be something to marvel. I said, I think on one of last week's buzz that, you know, you can do the, the updates on the rosters on the yep. lineups and download the lineups on the 2K19 or 2K18, um, which I did and which my mate did. And, you know, it's it's tricky because Kyrie's got quite a quick shot in comparison mm. to some other guys. And I'm not used to that. So, you know, it's going to take some getting used to, but um, I'll be playing it plenty and um, expecting some, some big things from our Brooklyn Nets, especially on 2K. I'm not sure if this was confirmed, but I heard that Joe Harris had the third highest three-point rating in the game. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that he was 94 um, in terms of three-point rating. I think Stephen Curry was like 99. Um, <laughs> and I think JJ Redick was like second, which is you know, uh, a pretty sizable sort of, you know, pretty decent company that he's in there. And, you know, uh, I think Joey, Joey deserves that. It'll be interesting. I think that last year, you know, we analyzed the numbers uh, pretty consistently um, and, and pretty in depth. You know, when the full sort of rosters and full sort of ratings drop out, we'll be doing that again. Uh, but Crimson Strikers uh, jumped in, Nick, and he sort of said, um, uh, touching on Janan Musa a little bit, does he deserve a crack? a chance to crack the roster yet or is he still uh, some steps away did you want to just uh, give a little bit of a summation of it yeah i think i mean he's still technically on the roster because he's on an nba contract so they can keep flip-flopping in between the g league and the nba i'm not sure if he deserves rotation minutes over other guys he's a good like backup to have in case there's maybe a point guard injury because he can handle the ball run the pick and roll a little bit but I'm not sure if I want to give him minutes over guys like David Nawaba or Garrett Temple. I think Musa still has a little bit of work to do. The one area where he could have an impact would be three-point shooting. He was a little inconsistent in summer league, but he was able to get that consistent. The Nets would probably be able to find minutes for him if he can play average NBA defense. Yeah, I think that if you provide an elite skill, you know, you generally you know, get a crack in, in some sort of sense. You know, with David Nawab, it's that sort of defense. Um, and, and other rotation guys like Joe Harris, it's, it's three-point shooting, you know, above everything else. So I think that, you know, Janan Musa needs to show some sort of glimpses there. And, you know, who knows, the regular season could force him to sort of push up. There's still some preseason games as well in China and in Brooklyn uh, that we can see some, some more glimpses from the likes of him too. So um, I think that the, the fact that we still have him, you know, it, it's always better to have that sort of, you know, that talent on your roster, you can keep developing keep developing them under the guise of, of what player you want him to turn into, you know, what do you want him to work on? Um, and, and, you know, he's going to be working on that three-point shot. You know, his ball handling is it, pretty good. And, you know, he has some versatility and size about him that can play probably one to three. So uh, I think he has a lot of, you know, a, a lot of skills, uh, a lot of physical attributes that I think, you know, is NBA sort of level. 
Yeah. And I think it's just about developing those skills further. Like you said, getting to a higher level where it's like, all right, we need to get this guy on the court a little bit. So I'm not super concerned coming into the NBA draft when the Nets drafted him. A lot of teams wanted to keep him overseas to let him develop more. One reason that he wanted to come to the Nets because he knew they'd allow him to spend time with the NBA team. So I don't think they anticipated him necessarily being ready to have instant uh, contributions to the team. It was more of a long-term type of project with him. Yeah, exactly. So I think that, you know, you're working long-term, um, you know, who knows what he could turn into, but, you know, I think next season and, and, and beyond, there are some more lofty aspirations. You know, I, I don't know how long he's going to uh, necessarily, you know, be on the roster, but for now, you know, as long as he can keep improving, um, then, you know, who knows, the, the sky's the limit for a guy like him because he has all these uh, intangibilities. He has, you know, the mentality to be a, a real NBA sort of player. But um, speaking of that, Nick, uh, do we want to get to the sort of ESPN power rankings? We're also working on some ones that you really need to see at otdbasketball.com. Uh, and as well, there'll be a fan vote as well that we'll be working on soon. But the Nets in those ESPN power rankings, let me just scroll down a little bit. I think we were seven. What were we again? So we were behind. I, I think we, we were, were 12th. Oh, that's a bit low. Uh, yeah, we were 12th. 12th behind the Golden State Warriors and the Toronto Raptors in front of the San Antonio Spurs and the Miami Heat. Uh, what did you think of that number 12 spot? I think that's probably around the range most power rankings are going to have the Nets at right about now until they see them on the court. I think there's been a lot of backlash about Kyrie Irving, like in general, just like his leadership and his fit, like that it's going to negatively impact a lot of the other players in the team, which, you know, we're a little bit more optimistic on the buzz and we don't think that necessarily is going to happen. I think there'll be a learning curve. But uh, I think there's a, a higher ceiling for the Nets than a couple of teams in front of them. Like in terms of the Raptors, I think the Nets could end up definitely being better than the Raptors because of the youth on the roster and guys developing across the, the uh, further through the season. Where you look at the Raptors, they're relying on a lot of older guys. Kyle Lowry's best basketball is probably behind him. Same thing with Marcus Soule. You know, there's some questions at the two guard for them. Are they going to start Norman Powell, Pat McCaw? You know, some of those small forward minutes now, obviously OG's coming back, but they have to probably play Rondé a little bit, who's not necessarily an amazing NBA player. Same thing with Stanley Johnson. And Serge Ibaka is another guy who's probably best basketball is behind him as well. So I think that'd be a team that I'd probably put the Nets over, but I could understand why team, you know, power rankers would respect them because obviously they just won the championship. For the record, there are four people who have done our power rankings so far, obviously, um, and this is a sneak peek behind the scenes. Um, they've they've been consensusly ranked almost 13th. Apart yep. from Will Jackson, no Nets fan and, and, and guess on the buzz, you've had him 14th. I had them 13th as well behind uh, the Raptors, funnily enough, and the Pacers. I think the Pacers aren't getting enough love from the general NBA media, and Corey will be happy to hear that uh, when we jump on the outlet very soon, but... Yeah, I think that you, you made a really good point, Nick, about the fact that there's a, a, a decent ceiling for the Brooklyn Nets in terms of, you know, if we have MVP Kyrie, and, you know, we might delve into that a little bit later in terms of the odds that he has uh, around the MVP status. If he has an MVP level season, then the Nets could easily be in the top 10. And, you know, obviously you talked about the Toronto Raptors. They have a much lower floor. I think the Nets, obviously the floor relates to the general sort of makeup of the roster. And, you know, do we see growth from the likes of, you know, continue to go from the likes of Karis Levert and Jared Allen because those guys are, are starting caliber players. Can they take that next step from being, you know, uh, potential players to being solidified, you know, near all-star in Karis Levert's sort of uh, makeup and, and for Jared Allen, a, a, a solidified starter who can go up the, against the likes of, you know, the real big guys and, and the real heavy hitters uh, when it comes to that center position. Uh, I think that the, the Nets can push the top 10 and maybe get even as high as, as eight or nine. Um, and for, for the record, eight or nine right now for ESPN uh, is the Utah Jazz and the Portland Trailblazers, um, which will be you know, a tricky one because the Utah Jazz have incredible depth. Um, but who knows what can happen with the Nets? If there's a 50-win season, uh, we could sneak in there. Yeah, I think the Jazz are probably being underrated by ESPN at nine. I would yeah. definitely have them better than the Blazers. I think the Blazers... I don't want to say like every year we're like, oh, maybe the Blazers will fall off or drop off, but like there isn't necessarily a ton of room for them to get better. I know Simons has had a really good summer league. That could be a guard for them that steps up. And uh, Zach Collins could probably take another step. But Hassan Whiteside isn't probably the same level player as Joseph Nurkic. And Hassan Whiteside is going to be their starting center most likely for a good chunk of the season. We know Nurkic suffered a really incredibly 
devastating injury actually against the Nets in overtime, similar to Gordon Hayward and Karis LeVert. And he's obviously a huge human. So it's going to take him probably a little bit longer to recover. I'd probably drop the, I think the Nets could probably jump the Blazers. Uh, I would probably make an argument they could jump the Celtics because I think one, not saying that they're necessarily better at the moment, but I think one thing that's really being slept on about Boston is Al Horford was incredibly important to that team offensively and defensively. Now the person they're replacing him with is a minus defender in Ennis Cantor. Then also Marcus Morris was probably one of their best debt pieces. And at times during the season, he was their most consistent player. And he's an inconsistent guy, you know, over the course of his career. So something interesting with Boston, I think people are a little bit hyped on them. And I think it's like it has a Kyrie Irving effect where they think that it's going to be, you know, the other guys are going to be better because Kyrie's leaving. And now they think with Kyrie coming to the Nets that some of the guys are going to be worse. That's just the, the feel that I'm getting. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've got a, a couple of chat comments and, and questions from Crimson Striker and Michael Zuckerman. Um, and we'll go to Michael Zuckerman first because I think we're going to be getting to the Kevin Durant uh, thoughts a little bit later. Can you discuss the Vegas odds uh, that have the Nets at forty, uh, the Nets at forty-five and a half wins for next year? Yeah, I didn't even see that yet. So uh, I definitely, if I had a betting connect, I would probably take the over. Yeah, I think forty-five wins is. I would, you know, if they carried the same exact team they had last season into this season, I would expect them to probably get over 45 wins just based off of the jumps they had. Last year, they finished with 42. You know, Karis LeVert missed majority of the season. Spencer Dinwiddie missed a big chunk of the season. Obviously, injuries can have an impact, but I really like the depth of this team. And I'm just like really sold on a player development team. Like, I think guys are going to get better. And I think the one guy that really no one's talking about is Torian Prince. Like, he's a good NBA player, and there's a lot of potential there that probably wasn't unlocked in Atlanta. Yeah, I think that my prediction right now would be probably 47, um, just yeah. off the top of my head. I think, you know, 52 would probably be the ceiling. Um, you know, who knows, obviously, what can happen throughout the season. If we see Torian Prince solidify himself as, like, a, a high-level Demario Carroll, like he was, like, in Atlanta, then I think that that changes the trajectory. Carroll Silvert is in the all-star conversation, most improved conversation. Um, then I think that that keeps us around there. But it all comes down to Kyrie Irving at the end of the day. Um, you know, if Kyrie Irving is having, like I said earlier, MVP level season, then we'll be having, you know, around that 50-win sort of mask, mark. And, you know, it, he's the leader of this team. You know, he's the fulcrum. Um, he's the franchise star. And without Kevin Durant, obviously Kevin Durant will be there. He'll be a presence, you know, on the road and, you know, behind the scenes and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, you need your star and your best place to sort of step up. You know, on the fringes, like you mentioned, you expect improvements from Torian Prince and Karis Avert and Rodion Skouritz and, and these sort of guys who are providing depth and rotation. DeAndre Jordan uh, might have a bounce back season. You expect the consistency from Joe Harris and Spencer Dimity to keep doing his thing. But, you know, I think that there's, you can't necessarily look to, we sort of analyze the teams around them. But if we're analyzing the Brooklyn Nets as a whole, 42 win season, you know, it was a massive jump from the season before. You know, with Coach Kenny and, you know, Sean Marks at the helm. Do you expect them to take a five-win jump? You know, I remember sort of saying uh, I was skeptical about, you know, with Kyrie Irving just at the helm, you know, how much better did the Nets get replacing Kyrie with D'Angelo? But I think that, you know, it was naive of me to say that because it was Kyrie replacing D'Angelo plus Torian Prince, plus David Nwaba, plus all these other pieces, plus Wilson Chandler, plus Garrett Temple. So I think with the roster that we have at our disposal now, you know, it's a top five-ish seed, top four seed, top three seed at the best which is around that sort of 47 win mark. And Crimson Striker himself says 47 to 50. So, you know, I think that the over is likely, but, you know, there's uh, plenty of things that can happen throughout the season. You know, there could be injuries, there could be chemistry issues that, you know, mean we don't necessarily take a jump and we could get under that 45 win mark. Yeah, we could end up not playing amazing basketball during the first half of the season, everybody trying to get in sync. But by the second half of the year, they're in sync, but the win total isn't necessarily there. So like you said, I think the roster across the board, and I, I kind of like some of the fits better than the previous roster, where there's actually guys you could probably play at power forward and you feel a little bit better. You know, last year, no disrespect to Derek Dudley, extremely high basketball IQ, but in terms of physical skill set, he has limitations and he can only play X amount of minutes. Now there's just more options. And I really think that Kenny, like you mentioned earlier, when he first took over, he wanted to push pace. I think this team could push pace a lot more than the previous teams we've seen the last two seasons. Yeah, I think that versatility um, to throw different lineups, to, to throw different schemes on offense and defense is, is what could make the Nets that little bit more dangerous when it comes to their opponents. But uh, Nick, we're going to skip ahead of the topics and I'm sure that you're always prepared for this, but uh, 
Kevin Durant's reasons uh, for going to the Nets um, and for leaving the Golden State Warriors. We're going to touch on them. Um, and obviously, uh, Sean Marks said, you know, uh, on the on the pod, uh, on the radio show with uh, Evan Roberts today, that he said, I love the system, love how you guys play. I see how hard you guys play. You were never out of games. We could never take you lightly. That was from KD. And Crimson Striker had a thought about that. He's concerned about KD, about the Warrior system. How does Kenny schemes differ uh, so to ensure that there's no repeat of the injury? Because um, obviously, if we're playing a, a pace and space sort of system, you know, does that, you know, um, hinder uh, Kevin Durant and his, you know, recovery and, you know, playing future? Yeah, I don't think so. I think uh, as an NBA player, like there's always going to be games, even if like hypothetically the Nets played at a really slow pace and they matched up against the Pelicans, the Pelicans are going to push the pace the entire game. So he's going to have to match that regardless. So I'm not that concerned. I think if he's recovering from the injury, he's going to recover. And maybe he might have to rest a couple more games because they're running a little bit more on the floor. But I'm not that concerned about the system having a negative impact on him recovering from injury. I think that would just just be highly unlikely. And I think in terms of the actual system fit, he must really like it. And I think he would like the ball movement at times. Even with him being involved in Golden State, they still isolated him a lot. I think he would have liked maybe more opportunities to come off screens and kind of be almost like a big version of Steph Curry, if that makes sense. Yeah, and obviously, you know, I chatted about, um, you know, the reasons and what I thought his motivations were on JBT this week. So, um, obviously, on the OGG Network, subscribe to that on iTunes like you are with the buzz. Um, but, yeah, the the reasons why he wanted to come to Brooklyn, uh, as Sean Mark sort of said, you know, just because he wanted to be part of a good system, you know. Um, he likes guys that show their hustle. You know, he has respect uh, for the team. You know, when we were versing the Golden State Warriors last season before, KD was suffering those injuries. You know, we were competitive with, competitive yeah. with them uh, at home, you know. And I think that, you know, Kevin Durant, obviously, you know, he had so many options with him. Uh, he said to Bob Myers that he wanted to try something different. You know, the Brooklyn Nets is something different. Um, and I think that, you know, KD and his desires to be in Brooklyn uh, are a positive thing. And, you know, I, I trash a little bit, you know, the likes of Colin Coward and, and these sort of people who just said, you know, he's throwing his career away and, you know, he's just choosing to play with Kyrie, all that sort of BS. But, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion. And because, you know, there's not much NBA chatter happening right now, say what you want. But um, I'm looking forward to seeing Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and the people that are, are skeptical about it, you know, 2020, 2021 or, or late 2019-20. Um, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I think another thing that maybe attract KD, and this is just pure speculation. We haven't heard this from any type of source, but things weren't always smooth in the Golden State locker room. You know, Draymond said all that stuff to KD. They didn't necessarily get along. There's numerous occasions where you see some backlash, where the Nets just seem like a more positive environment. Obviously, some of that was just the chemistry of the previous team. But I could see that why that would be attractive to a player. You know, the style we play is fun. You know, we're trying to incorporate that and we're empowering the players. We're trying to give them the best life possible. And the guys are getting along and encouraging each other. And I think that's something that's just attractive to a guy that didn't necessarily feel appreciated in Golden State. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that he'll certainly be appreciated uh, in Brooklyn, that's for sure. But um, I think we'll get to more of the comments, I guess, Nick, that Sean Marks said uh, with Evan Roberts. So, you know, obviously that Kevin Durant one was probably the main takeaway. Um, but this was, you know, when there was sort of, we were, you know, we were the divulging and, and dissecting these sort of things, you know, pretty consistently on the buzz before free agency sort of hit. Uh, this is him considering the Kyrie Irving-Russell combination. Uh, it, it was certainly an option. I'm not sure that would have been a great fit for either one of those guys. D'Angelo's proved that he can go in and lead a team, and he's deserving of that. Yeah, I, I think that's just a really nice statement from Sean Marks. You know, not trying to throw shade either guy or D'Angelo Russell saying that, hey, these are both great players and their best role are probably being a lead guard for somebody. And if we have Kyrie Irving, we want to get the best out of him. And obviously right now you kind of view Kyrie as a better player of D'Angelo, giving D'Angelo an opportunity to go somewhere else where he can be a starter and flourish where maybe if the Nets retained him and they didn't get Kevin Durant or they traded somebody and tried to retain him, he would have to take a back seat and he possibly would never get to, you know, his possible highs. Yeah, he might not reach that ceiling. Um, and I think in a Golden State system under the guise of um, of Steve Kerr and with the leadership of, you know, one of the best shooters of all time, you know, he's only going to improve that shot. And, you know, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see him, you know. Um, I'm, well, we've sort of talked about the fact that, you know, we're almost going to be faux Golden State fans because of the that pick, that protected pick. And then also 
you've got the likes of D'Angelo Russell there where you can't help but root for these guys and hopefully Clay gets back sooner rather than later as well. Now that there's this parity in the league, you can't help but just feel it's just like the Golden State Warriors are underdogs now, so you can't help but just want to root for them. So um, he continued on with D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo was amazing when he was here, did everything we asked and fully bought into the culture and develop, development. Uh, he really matured and was somebody we were quite happy to move into the future with. Little tidbit, uh, Max Kellerman said that he has to show some humility and be humbled when he gets to Golden State. Some of these guys just don't just, just say dumb shit for the sake of saying dumb shit. I honestly feel like a lot of people just dislike D'Angelo Russell. Like they just, for no specific reason, it's probably carried over from that whole Nick Young thing. And the real thing is D'Angelo Russell is a different person than he was before he came to the Nets. Like you mentioned all the things Sean Marks has said. Kenny has said great things about him. His teammates have said great things about him. He's a great leader. He's a great locker room guy. He's very coachable. All this nonsense about him needing to be humble or fitting in, he's going to be just fine in Golden State. Maybe schematically in terms of basketball fit, it might not work out, but it's not going to not work out because of him off the court. He's a good person. Like, I just I just can't stand the speculation about a young kid saying, like, all these negative comments. It's almost annoying in the sense that, like, I'm far from a D'Angelo Russell stand, but I feel like I need to go out there and fight for the guy. Yeah, I'm pretty close to a stand. Um, I've done that much video breakdown. I've <laughs> got the, the Coogie t-shirt jersey, which is one of my – my prized pieces, um, you know, the, the slander that he gets is just pretty dumb. It, it's, it's, it's uninformed, it's silly, it's rash, uh, it's over the top. And, you know, it, it's chatter for the sake of chatter rather than yep. just being, you know, I, I think that there's a, there's a lot of stuff that I think that these NBA heads sometimes don't get credit for because... NBA heads. You know, they're not, yeah. they're not Zach Lowe, they're not uh, Brian Windhorst, they're not guys that are in the trenches doing the reporting. They're guys that are just mouthpieces and, and have their opinions. And to an extent, that's sort of us. But, you know, I think that we're a bit more invested and, you know, analyze this team and, you know, probably uh, are far more invested than those sort of guys who just have off-the-cuff sort of comments. But, uh, Nick, we'll hark back a little bit to uh, some of the Summer League stuff and sort of the, the Nets roster overall with some comments in the chat uh, via Crimson Striker again. Thoughts on who should get that second two-way contract? I know you mentioned some names. Uh, I'll go with the guy because... Um, I did a video breakdown and I kind of fell in love with him a little bit was Jalen hands. I know mm -hmm. you mentioned him as a name uh, as well, but I think that it has to be a guard. Um, I'd prefer it to be a guard because I think that there's enough wing sort of rotation there. And unless that there is, you know, something on the roster there um, that we can, or someone in the wings or someone that Sean Marks and coach Kenny have fallen in love with that summer league that has this wing skill set. Um, I would prefer to go down the guard path, but I'm not a hundred percent sure of, of who those guys might be um, because we've obviously got the sort of big men filled out with Henry Ellenson and, and Nicholas Claxton and the like, uh, but I'd prefer a, a guy like Jalen Hands. Yeah, I think a point guard would make the most sense or somebody who can handle the ball because, you know, technically your point guards on roster are Kyrie Irving and Spencer Dillon. We mentioned Karis LeVert can handle the ball, Musa can handle the ball, but having a third point guard might be beneficial if, you know, somebody misses a week or two with a sprained ankle. You know, that's pretty common for an NBA player to be out a couple games. So I would like a point guard. I mean, I, I could see hands because he was a second-round pick. I could uh, see Cordonaire, the French guy, or like we said, there could be another guy. It's really hard because I just is like hard to put an eye on what Sean Marks is trying to do. I know some people have got some guesses, but Sean Marks is, you know, he's a clever guy. He keeps things close to his chest as well. That is absolutely for sure. Um, Ada SL. Where do you see the Nets ending up in the seeding in the Eastern Conference? Obviously, we talked about power rankings and, and overall. Um, but I think that this is something that is, again, you know, we make predictions, we make takes. Nothing is set in stone. We put percentages on things. And, uh, you know, I know we're made to eat our words a lot. And we're happy to do that. But, you know, if, if we're going right now, Nick, um, where do the Nets finish uh, in the Eastern Conference with pretty much free agency uh, done and dusted? Yeah, like you said, we're probably going to maybe change our takes a little bit as they progress through the offseason. We dive deeper into the rest of the NBA teams. Our final preview will definitely touch on win totals and seeds. I think right now you're looking at probably a three to three to five seed. You know, worst case, hopefully would be a six seed like last year. But I think there's a lot of potential with the depth of this team to compete with some of those other teams like Boston, like Indiana, like Toronto. The Nets obviously have their flaws, but those three teams all have their flaws as well. So there's a lot of things that could happen. Injuries could have an impact, but I like the three to five range. 
Yeah, I think the three to five range, three to six range, I think is is incredibly likely. Um, I think that the Bucks and the Sixers uh, are, are in a level of their own. Obviously, that you know the, the season has to happen, but just looking at the rosters right now, they seem to sort of elevate themselves in, in that sort of tier one. But the Nets are in that sort of tier two, where you've got the Boston Celtics, Indiana Pacers, Toronto Raptors, uh, the Miami Heat, maybe to a lesser extent. So, for me, I think right now I'm always the eternal pessimist when it comes to. <laughs> Uh, the Brooklyn Nets and everything surrounding us. Um, doesn't mean I don't have optimism, but I think that right now the Boston Celtics are still better than us. Despite the Al Horford loss, I just think that they've got some depth and, and some coaching stuff and some continuity that I think works well for them. Um, I think that the Raptors, despite the fact that, you know, we've sort of talked about their their losses and everything else that sort of happened with them, I think Pascal Siakam will take a jump. I think OG Ananobi it will be a nice sort of re-addition to the roster. And, you know, we sort of had a preview of it last season when the the Raptors played with that Kawhi Leonard. They were still damn good. And, yes, another season uh, under the legs for the likes of Marcus Gasol and Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka. They're not going to be at their best, but I still think that they're a, a pretty capable team and, and could maybe get a home seating. So, uh, and even the Indiana Pacers, you know, it all depends on Victor Oladipo. If Victor Oladipo is back, I think the Pacers are better than us. If he's not, then I don't think that they are. Uh, obviously, that, that timing is... You know, is one thing that, you know, could, could really affect a lot of things. But I really like their off-season. And, you know, when I was responding on OGD Basketball's Twitter account, they were one of my favorite off-seasons. And, you know, I think the likes of Malcolm Brogdon and, 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 and Jeremy Lamb and this sort of, obviously, I think their big man rotation has some finagling and who's going to play that power forward position. But I like the paces. Um, and, and I think that they're a team to watch for too. So right now, if I was to have a gun to my head, um, I'd probably have the Nets at the, the fifth seed. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Like, I think when I look at Boston, other than the things I mentioned, like, who is Gordon Hayward? Like, what do we expect from him? You know, last year, to be honest, he probably wasn't a starting level NBA player. He was a really good bench piece, but he had a lot of issues, especially with his lateral quickness. Can he get back being closer to that Utah Jazz player? That would be huge for them. What type of jump does Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum take? I think that's going to be important, too. And then Toronto. What I, the way I look at Toronto is the ceiling's not very high, the floor's not super low. So they're a team that you could jump over, but they're going to be there. They're going to be in that spot. So if you don't play up to X level, you're not going to get past them. And then the Pacers, like you said, Oladipo's injury is going to be pretty big. I think they take a slight step back defensively, losing Thad Young, who was really, really good defensively for them last year. And then Bogdanovich gave them some excellent spacing. But the other guys fill in different roles, possibly. I'm really intrigued to see what they do at the power forward position, like you said. It looks yeah, like it starts a bonus, but I'm not sure if that makes the most sense. Ideally, I would probably want to start TJ Warren at the four. Yeah, I think that makes the most sense as well. Um, D-Rock says he sees Henry Ellenson as a four. What say you, Nick? Um, I think, you know, he definitely could play the four. I think a lot depends on defensively because how fast the NBA is. You can't really have a slow-footed four. I'm not 100% sure on his defense because I haven't seen enough NBA minutes from him. I don't think anybody really has. I think in the net system, he could be like an interchangeable four or five, maybe, where he plays the five defensively and the four offensively, if that makes sense. And then you have Katie out there playing, you know, like the four offensively or the, you know what I mean? Like he can be interchangeable. I'm not sure if I'd lock him into a position. I just always necessarily lean to the five for a guy that I don't feel like is extremely fast. Yeah, I'd probably prefer Nicholas Claxton at the four, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of the tangibility, the, the, the general skill set that he has and the motor and, and the sort of athleticism. Um, but, you know, who knows? Um, he can probably fill in some minutes and you know, Henry Ellens and Jared Allen or Henry Allen because he can space the floor. I think, it, you know, if he can hit that three-point shot consistently in the minutes that he does play, you know, he can play four alongside, you know, DeAndre Jordan who provides that sort of vertical spacing uh, in a similar sense. But um, Nick, I guess we'll discuss this one because it's... Quick note on Ellison, I just checked up his... A scouting report via nbadraft.net. His athleticism only ranked a six out of ten, so I would probably definitely lean more towards a five unless he got quicker over the last couple of years. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there's a, a a really sort of comment that we sort of discussed ever so slightly. Um, Michael Zuckerman, what are these rumors of the Nets maybe training for Beal? Now those were out. Maybe I even started those, um, <laughs> but. <laughs> I think that they're sort of starting to creep up a little bit more around other teams after Candace Buckner, who's really switched on when it comes to that Washington Wizards beat, uh, said that, you know, he wants out. Um, and the Nets are in a decent position where they could make a move for Bradley Beal. And, 
you know, I guess we'll sort of repeat our sort of thoughts on that. So um, what do you what do you think of it? Yeah, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of that because I think you have the star players and you have the potential of other guys to turn into all-stars. And a lot of teams are going to be going for Bradley Beal. And there's going to be teams that are more willing to give up assets because there's more desperation where the Nets aren't in that desperate spot. Like this season isn't necessarily house money because there's still expectations of probably getting to the second round. But next year is where everything is a pressure on. KD's back. You're looking at a championship. So I think we talked about this trade wouldn't really make sense for this season. If for some reason Bradley Beal was available next year, then maybe the Nets would get in there. But I like the depth and I like – it's like you're trading a whole bunch of, you know, fringe all-stars possibly. Spencer Dinwiddie and Akira Allen for a guy who's obviously a clear-cut all-star, you know, one of the best shooting guards in the league. But is it better to have more depth across the board or is it better to have that one-star guy? You know, previous years we saw Golden State win with all the stars, but we saw last year KD was out. And that depth was terrible, and they really had no chance to win the series where even if Kawhi wasn't 100% for the Raptors, other guys could step up and kind of make up some of those points in those minutes where if you trade away your guys, like your roster is not going to be that great because you don't have the cap flexibility to get better. Yeah, I think that there'll be some other teams that are probably more desperate, um, but the Nets are in a, probably can offer one of the better packages um, if they were to get in the race. And, you know, like you said, Nick, I think the depth matters more for, for this season uh, and 2020-2021. You know, if Carlos Severd takes a step back or Spencer shows nothing or we see nothing from Jared Allen, then that's when I think you sort of contemplate making the package for, for a guy like Bradley Beal. And who knows, even maybe by mid-season before that, that trade deadline, I think, you know, for, for now and for, you know, probably the next few months, I don't see the Nets, you know, in that sort of market, but plenty of things could change. The, the Wizards could give them away for nothing. Um, yeah. there's, they obviously don't have a GM. Um, my boy Nick Hughes think he's uh, as despondent as I was when we first started JBT when the when the Nets were, when the the Nets were really struggling, which is a, a really fun sight to see for 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 myself. But uh, Drock jumped in again, Nick. Uh, besides KDA with injury, are there any holes in our roster that Sean Marks must address? Um, you know, thinking about it, not really considering the style of basketball the Nets play. Maybe you can look for a little bit more toughness at the four spot, but I think you've got you bring in a guy like Wilson Chandler who kind of provides that. He's wasn't always necessarily a four. He's gonna probably see more minutes there, maybe a little bit more length at that position. But if your superstar small forward slash power forward is out, you can't be expected to replace him. You know what I mean? Like you're still paying him that money. So it's just he's out for the season and you just deal with it. Yeah, I don't think we have the best talent at wing that we have enough depth that makes up for it sort of the sum of all parts when you look at prince kuritz chandler you know i think that those sort of three guys and maybe if you chuck in joe harris at the three two um i don't think a, a, any of those guys are like top 50 top 80 players in the nba uh, and in a position where i think is probably more important than any but i think that those guys can do enough um when you're coming up against the likes of Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, you know, Torian Prince can, can provide you a little bit on, on the defensive end. Um, so, and then you can maybe even chuck Karis Avert at the three uh, in some certain lineups too. So there is certainly some some holes, but I think that that is just the the makeup of the roster because Kevin Durant, you put him in that position, it's, it immediately solves all problems. So for the 2019-20 season, yeah, there's a gap in talent, I think, at the wing. Uh, I think our guard rotation is really strong. I think our center rotation is really strong. Um, so for me, it's it's probably that wing position, but there's not really necessarily much you can do about it in, in terms of what was available on the market, what is available on the market right now. Yeah, and there just isn't necessarily guys that you can get to upgrade. And I think when KD comes back, now all of a sudden you slide, you know, Torian Prince or Rodion's down, and now you feel more comfortable because you have two pretty good players at that position or, you know, one stays at the four, whatever the rotation might be. And I like the great point you brought up about Karis Avert playing at the three. If Karis gets bigger, which we saw some muscle, you know, addition last year, he can spend more time at the three because he does have the athleticism. It was more so about the strength going against some of the bigger guys. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Crimson Striker made a decent point as well, a stretch five. That, that's what uh, everyone wants on the roster. And, you know, Jared Allen starts in the, the three ball, then he might become that bit. So he could be that too. <laughs> you know, yeah, Kenny exactly. talked about playing him at the five. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't rule it out. But yeah. I also would say with the expectation for what the Nets have, you know, picked at the five in the recent years of who they signed, 
I don't think they necessarily are looking for a stretch five. Like I think they're happy playing a Jared Allen, a DeAndre Jordan, or Ed Davis at that five position, somebody doing the dirty work, setting the screens, being that rim runner. That's more so what they're looking for in the system because other than Brooke Lopez, who obviously they traded away, they haven't really tried to make an addition of a stretch five. No, not really. Um, and, and I think it makes sense, like you said, with the, the composition of this roster. But uh, Nick, we'll finish off with some uh, MVP odds. And um, I think our boy Kyrie Irving's been slept on. Yeah, he is. What, what's the number they got for him odds-wise, Jack? 33 to 1. The exact same odds for Donovan Mitchell. You know, he's under uh, Russell Westbrook. And these are the guys that he is under. He's under Russell Westbrook, Damian Lillard, Paul George, Carl Anthony Towns, Doncic, Jokic, Embiid, Davis, LeBron, Kawhi, Harden, Curry, and Giannis, who is the favorite. Um, I think that, if anything, you know, he will be a, a greater MVP contender than Carl Anthony Towns, Luka Doncic, and Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, I, I mean, I could see the argument for Donovan Mitchell in the sense that if the Jazz are really good, he'll get the MVP attention. But it also could go to Gobert because some people have said Gobert's their better player. So, and Carl Anthony Towns, no disrespect, I love Cat. I think he's an amazing player and there's still a ton of potential for there. The Timberwolves are going to be nowhere close to being a team that gets an MVP candidate. Probably the same could be said about Luka. You know, they could squeeze into the playoffs, but they're not going to be at, you know, a 50-win level. And you don't really see players get MVP other than Russell Westbrook a few years ago when he averaged a triple-double get MVP without having a really high ceiling. And the Kawhi thing, like I get Kawhi being high, but we know Kawhi is not going to play a ton of games. Him and Paul George kind of hurt each other. Anthony Davis and LeBron kind of hurt each other. And Westbrook is not winning MVP in Houston. No. Like I, I will bet $1,000 right now that Russell Westbrook is not winning an MVP with the Rockets. Yeah, I agree. I think that you know, the two most slept on guys in, in those sort of uh, odds for me are Nikola Jokic and Kyrie Irving. I think Nikola Jokic at 16 to 1. Um, you know, I think that if the Denver Nuggets are the one seed and Jokic continues his, his improvement, you know, he had a great postseason. You know, he could carry that into the regular season. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be the best player in the NBA, but he could go from that sort of top seven range to maybe a top six and top five range, which could elevate him to the MVP conversation. But yeah, Kyrie is being way too slept on. But um, Nick, there is a question, and I guess we'll finish with this one, and it's a good one. Um, from Michael Zuckerman, can you see Jordan and Allen both average a double-double? That's uh, interesting. Interesting. Um, the way Jared Allen's been rebounding in Summer League, I take it with a grain of salt, but he's been more aggressive. The mentality has been there. And there was games last year where Ed Davis would grab 10 and uh, Jared Allen would grab close to 10. So I wouldn't say they'll both average a double-double. I think they'll both be on, like, the cusp. You know, I think Jared Allen's going to get more minutes, like I've said in the past. I see Jared Allen probably averaging somewhere between 11 to 16 points, and then maybe he'll average like 10 boards. DeAndre, I think, will have less minutes, and maybe he averages something like 8 to 12 points and maybe like 7 to 10 rebounds. We know DeAndre is like a rebound vacuum, similar to Ed Davis, so there is a potential there, but it just seems unlikely for two guys to average over 10 rebounds. Yeah, I think it all depends on the the minute allocation. You know, if you're giving them both... 25 minutes a night then who knows then it possibly could happen but i think that the minute rotation is going to be the sort of probably main stumbling block with that you know for for the record um jared allen averaged 8.4 rebounds last season um i'll probably in my season preview sneakily have him under 10 rebounds i still think that um he, he's a little bit um i think he might finish a little bit under that and maybe the minutes with deandre maybe he doesn't even start Whereas DeAndre Jordan has averaged over 10 rebounds every year since 2013-14. Um, so, uh, he, he, like you said, he's a rebounding machine, a rebounding vacuum. So I think it's DeAndre Jordan. You know, we could probably set that in stone. And, you know, even last season, you know, he was only averaging 26 minutes a game and still averaging 11.4 rebounds. So I think that DeAndre Jordan, you can almost probably put down and, and, and give it a tick that he'll, he'll average it. Uh, for Jared Allen, um, it might. Um, but... You know, I don't necessarily think, I think that, you know, rebounding numbers, I think that it's going to be more about, for me, rebounding percentages. How Are we getting extra looks on the offensive glass? Um, are we boxing out? Um, are we showing, you know, the, the, the toughness, um, you know, because I know that in Coach Kenny's system last year, there was, and Rondé has said it before, and Karras and all these other guys have said that, you know, they emphasize guard rebounding so they can get out in transition. You know, uh, is DeAndre going to box out Kyrie so he can get the ball in the open court? Um, we'll have to wait and see. 
Yeah, and I think just a quick nugget before we get out of here because we are about to do an NBA outlet at 8 p.m. So stay on the YouTube channel. We'll pop that up in a quick second. I think Kyrie could open up more opportunities for Jared Allen to get more rebounds offensively because he'll draw two defenders at the rim. But that's the final note. Jack, excellent show. As always, thank everybody for checking in, dropping the questions and comments. We really appreciate it. We'll keep the buzz going. And be sure to subscribe, iTunes, Block Prep Radio, OTGBasketball.com, that's a public.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. All you got to do is hit that little square with the OTG logo and hit subscribe. Stay tuned. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.